Hello and welcome back to Lida Express Podcast. My name is Lida Chuma and I am your host. We have been on the 12 week series regarding sex trauma and today is week nine. We are having the ninth episode. I don't know about you, but I am ecstatic. When we started this series, the goal was to make sure that you had everything you could need as a starter kit to recover from sex trauma. We've had, we've had four episodes before now on how on things that mess up your sex life. We've had four, theory, four episodes on how parents can traumatize their kids called avoiding traumatic parenting. We've had four episodes on addictions, how addictions meet our needs. We've had four episodes on trauma. So if you search for trauma on our website at www.levaexpress.com, you will find quite a few episodes. But we didn't have any particular series that was taking care of sex trauma. We decided, you know what, we're going to do this thing once and for all. Yeah, we might have to work on sex trauma maybe next year. But for 2023, we wanted to make sure and we are making sure that you have everything you need to recover in such a way that if you cannot afford therapy this year, your life will still not be stuck where it was. You can move forward. We promised you that we will make therapy. We will make healing. We will make it accessible to you. And that's precisely what we've been doing with this podcast series. So if I were you, I will go back and listen to eight free, solid content. Okay, eight. I don't think anybody does that for free. I don't think so. The content from this podcast, if we collated it together, it will make a good cause. But we decided, no, this is going to be free. We, you're loving people like that. <laughs> and so today I want to go into the final reason why recovering from sex trauma is hard. The first five episodes in this series were dedicated to redefining sex trauma. Because for a lot of us, until you started to listen to this podcast series, sex trauma was rape. And that's not true. That's inaccurate. Even legally, rape is not the only definition of sex abuse. If it abuses someone, it traumatizes someone. Right? So if legally, rape is not the only definition in sex abuse, how did we compress sex abuse and sex trauma of the victim into just rape? And so for five weeks straight, we went into all the variants of trauma. And that, is even, that isn't even all the variants. Because one, one of those episodes, we decided to ask ChatGPT to help us summarize a caption for one of the posts. And ChatGPT began to bring out things like cult, um, I can't remember the exact tagline, but it was something about cult rapes. And I know, oh, that's a thing. I heard about it when I was on campus where a lady decides that, oh, she wants to join a particular fraternity and a certain number of people were allowed to rape her. It was a rite of initiation. And I'm, I'm sure it's not just fraternities on campus. There might be other places where gang rapes are permitted within the confines of setting whatever laws and whatever guidelines that they've given to themselves does not change the fact that it is abusive and traumatic to the person it is happening to, regardless of what those environments promise to give to the person, right? 
we spoke about sex slavery, we spoke about pimping, we spoke about um, rapes, even boy child rape, we spoke about female genital mutilation, we spoke about um, body shaming. Body shaming is so popular, people do not even realize that it can sexually traumatize the person. When the person begins to feel like their body is not enough, they will subject that body to any and everything sexually because they're trying to look for body validation. We had an episode one time called body esteem because they're in chase of body esteem. What we call self-esteem is an aggregate of how you feel about all sides and all, all parts of you. This would include your body. This would include your intelligence. This would include your appearance. This would include how sexy you feel. This would include your educational background. This would include your financial status. This would include your position in culture and in society. When we put all of that together, it is the aggregate of that that we call self-esteem. And so sometimes it is myopic to just tell someone to be confident. You can't just look at someone and say, be confident. The question is, why will they be confident? Um, it is known that the more you increase competence, the more you increase confidence. That's natural. The more educated you are on a particular topic, the more confidence you have to speak about the topic. I wouldn't have run sex trauma series five years ago. I didn't have enough competence. Interestingly, I had the education, but I didn't feel I didn't have enough voice. I didn't have enough truth to the to, to what I would have been saying. I didn't have enough faith in myself. I didn't know how much. I hadn't seen my results. But as I began to work with my clients over the years, that confidence began to build because I'm seeing good feedback and I'm increasing my education. And yeah, I can downplay it and say, oh, I didn't learn a lot, but that would also be a lie because I have taken more certification courses in the last five years than I had, two, than I had the first two years of Visa Express. So we will be seven this year, September 7th. I like the tagline, seven on the seventh. <laughs> And so we looked at all of these areas and we saw how it affects your sex life. Today, however, which is the, today is the final part, the final episode of the second part of the series. So the first part was redefining sex trauma. The second part of the series went into reasons why recovering from sex trauma is hard. And we mentioned quite a few things. Go listen to the other episodes, I won't tell you. <laughs> Today, we're going into frequency, norming, and numbing. That's quite dramatic English-wise, but okay. The first norm is N-O-R-M, so norming, norming. The second one is N-U-M-B-I-N-G, numbing. That is the difference. So frequency, norming, and numbing. Let's look at some dictionary definitions. Frequency. The rate at which something occurs over a particular period of time or in a given sample. Simply put, rate of occurrence. For physics students, I'm sure as I was defining, as I said frequency, you began to think you began to think of vibration and you started to see that um, that that movement, that up and down movement. Right. That's frequency, the rate of occurrence within a particular period or within a given sample. Now if you if okay let me not stick to the east let me just stick to the data the united nations a few years ago brought out a statistic that showed that one in every three women one in every three women have been victims or will be victims of some form of abuse that abuse is not necessarily sexual 
it could be verbal, it could be domestic violence getting hit, it could be sexual violence, but they would be exposed to some form of abuse. If one in every three women is a victim, that means we have 33%. That's quite some frequency. It means in a room of 300 women, about 100, and I'm very sure that 100 will not be accurate, about 100 women have been, are, or will be victims. That is a crazy percentage to work with. Like I always say, if you were investing and you were going to make 33% profit, you will put in your money into that. You will put your money into that venture. You will. You will totally put your... 33% is good turnover. Depending on the industry, 33% is major turnover. In a, in a time and age where economically people make investments and all they get is 3% and 5%, 7%, 12%, very, very funny figures. Depending on the industry, though, if you are in the tech space, then you'll be talking 500, 1,000. But again, I'm just talking about regular industries, right? Like agriculture and all of those other regular industries we've been used to over the years. The rate of occurrence. If it happens frequently enough, here's what's going to happen. It's going to become a norm. If it happens frequently enough, it will become a norm. For example, gun violence. Gun violence in the US is such frequent conversation that it's a norm now. A norm people are fighting against because they are obviously getting resensitized, but it is still a norm. It is not a norm in Nigeria. I was watching an Instagram video about two weeks ago and this influencer was talking about driving on the street. She was just driving on the street and someone pointed a gun at her. Just like that. Between two moving vehicles. Someone just leveled their gun at her. And in that moment, it was a question of what if this person had pulled the trigger? I can't relate with it as a Nigerian. The average Nigerian has never seen a gun. We can't relate with we can't relate with gun violence. Forget our background Twitter. We can't. It's it's not a frequent conversation. Very good. There was robbery somewhere, somewhere not too far away. And people were talking on social media like there was robbery on our street and blah 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 and someone came up <laughs> someone came up on the platform and said that's how it happened in 2017 and the part of me that has been consuming a lot of content from the u.s recently thought 2017 and this is 2023 and this person will pull a parallel from five years ago and be upset then it happened in 2017 and it's happening in 2023. Five years difference. And this person will still remember it and reference it. That's to tell you 
how hardly Nigerians hear gunshots. When you hear things like, ah, they rub on my streets with your more gun. The moment people hear gun, that's the way they behave. But then we have family friends and big friends and acquaintances in the US and they're talking about gunshots in school. We're looking at them like, huh? You could live in Nigeria for 20 years and never hear gunshots in your life. Ever. Like 20 straight years and you've never had a gunshot. What am I pointing at? Rate of occurrence. Those of you in the city, you cannot relate with FGM. It's not a thing. But then you go back to your rural towns, you go back to your hometowns, your villages, and not being circumcised as a lady, because circumcision is what they call it, even though that's the wrong terminology, is a thing. And so the girl who is not circumcised is the anomaly. Again, rate of occurrence. I'm going to give one more example. During all of this headsman crisis in Nigeria and all of the terrorism happening in some parts of the country, there was a killing in southwestern Nigeria and there were bodies. There were bodies. And it was one of the few times when we saw dead bodies and their pictures from the south. And Southwesterners took to social media and they were angry, they were upset that the government will not do this and the government will not do that. They were almost protesting, people were upset. Guess what? Someone in the Northeast and no, some, someone in, not, not North Central, Middle Belt, yes, yeah, someone within the Middle Belt saw that picture. I think the person was from Kogi State. Saw that picture and responded as, this one normal now. And then people in Joss and people in Core North, Northeast, they saw some of these responses on the major social media handles. And their response was, but this has been going on with us for years. And no one is protesting on social media. And for the first time, it occurred to me that the reason those of us on this side never really grieved with them was that we could not relate. We couldn't relate with the conversation they were having. We could not relate with their pain. We could not relate with their grief. What if the reason people are not supporting you on your sex trauma healing journey what if the reason people have not acknowledged that what has happened to you is a thing what if the reason they are not responding is because they can't relate or they've seen it so much and it has become a norm even you as the victim what if the reason you don't think being raped is major is because every girl in your school has been raped what if the reason you don't think boys can be raped is because you've not had it enough so you can't relate with it and so if a boy was saying he was raped you would dismiss it because you can't relate remember the episode we had i said i was not going to mention it but okay um two episodes ago or three episodes ago we had the topic communal ignorance so when it comes to why you're not recovering from trauma there's always the left side of we never had it so you're cooking it up 
or we've had it so much why are you making a big deal out of it frequency when frequency when the frequency of a thing becomes a lot the rate of occurrence then it turns into a norm a norm is a pattern or trait taken to be typical in the behavior of a social group which will be like an average or a median measurement of a particular social group a norm is a widespread or usual practice procedure or custom like i said in the case of fgm it's a practice it's a custom when a team begins to work together for those of you who are in project management team management human resources you know what i'm about to say when you put together a new team you have what is called the forming stage where you're bringing different people together but then something happens after you form a team you storm you guys begin to go through the storming phase where this person cannot stand that person and this person is trying to establish dominance and this person is trying to get out of your way blah 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 that is the storming phase after the storming phase comes the norming phase n-o-r-m-i-n-g it becomes a norm what happens some people take up their place in dominance some people take up their place in submission some people shift some people become hardworking and do the job of the whole team some people just leave the job for some other people to do it the team begins to everybody finds their place and there becomes the average result the pattern the custom the unspoken traditions of that group Perhaps the reason we don't recover from trauma is that trauma is now a norm. Sex trauma is now a norm. And for a lot of people, rape is not something you can relate with. But I feel like 80%, if not all of the world's population, can relate with body shaming at some point. And some people might not be able to relate with it because they come from loving homes, they went to schools in loving environments, they, they lived around their grandparents, their grandparents were extra supportive, they had supportive uncles and aunties who come from loving homes, and they lived in a cocoon. That's what it's going to be compared to the rest of the world. That's a type of a cocoon. Until they step out into the, whole, the, main, the main world and they realize, oh shoot, everyone isn't like that. A, 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 a trick I like to play on people every time is give them compliments. I call it a trick right now because it tends to upset the balance of whatever conversation we're having every time I give a compliment. It's either the person downplays the compliment or they downplay themselves. Very few people know how to just receive compliments. I tell a man that he's handsome and he looks at me like I'm joking or I'm trying to get something. I'm trying to extort him. I tell a lady she's pretty. And she goes, oh, please, this one happened quite recently. I saw a lady's picture and I thought she was really beautiful. And her response was, she looked like a hot mess. I couldn't read it. Not because I didn't, I didn't understand what she just said, but the picture was saying otherwise. Why? What they've experienced over a period of time has defined their response. So, if you are in an environment where sex abuse is a norm, all of the forms of sex abuse we previously mentioned, from sex slavery to FJM to body shaming to rape, whatever it is, if you've lived in an environment or you are living in an environment where those kinds of things are normal, people will not respond to you. People will not try to help you heal. In fact, as far as they are concerned, you're just making noise. You're just unnecessarily dramatic. 
it's why we have feminists who are fighting to stop certain form of um, marginalization from women and people tag them aggressive, people tag them unbecoming, people tag them as unfriendly, people tag them as angry women, people call them all forms of names. Why? They become used to the marginalization that if these women decide to stop the marginalization, they will offset the balance. But the flip side of the situation is we've also become used to men emotionally burning out, men being physically uncared for, men being used, men always providing, men always being the emotional support. That when a man begins, begins to demand emotional support, we look at him like he's unnecessarily dramatic. Again, norm. If a man comes to you and says, oh, I got abused, can you call the police? Your first response will be, I beg. Or you will laugh. Or you will ask him, so who should I even call? It's going to look like a joke. Because both of you don't even know which section of the police department to call. I mean, if a girl gets raped, I know to call women affairs. I know to call social service. I know to call police, um, the police emergency line. I know all of these departments. Who do you call when a boy child gets raped? Who do you call when a young boy gets forcefully accused and sent to prison? Which department do you call? Which department pro provides legal services for him? You and I don't know. That's a research. It's a research question. Why norm? The norm for the men is that it is not a conversation. The norm for the women is that it happens so often that we become numb. That takes me to the third part of today's class, to, to today's session. Numb, N-U-M-B. Numbing, deprived of feeling or responsiveness. Desensitized, deadened, cause sensation to be felt less intensely. For those of you who have been sexually assaulted all to the point of rape and penetration without your consent, if it happens long enough, your body becomes numb. That's why if you are in a, I want to say romantic relationship, but if you're getting raped, it's not romantic anymore. But if you're in a relationship where forceful sex is the norm, N-O-R-M, your body will become numb, S-U-M-B. Because your body is used to being penetrated forcefully that after a while, in order to stop you from feeling the pain, it's almost like your nervous system shuts down. Because if it continues to feel the pain, the hormone being secreted in your brain is causing you to have high cortisol level, is causing you to live in pain, and it's threatening your life because after a while, your life begins to feel less valuable and you are more prone to putting yourself in death situations, situations that can lead to your death. And because your biological system is wired to keep you alive, it will rather numb you than allow you to die. So if this rape situation that is frequent feels like death, your system will rather block out your ability to feel it. And I know I just explained someone's situation right now. For some of you, it's that people have said negative words about your body, about your person. They said it so frequently that you've begun to block out. 
if someone was to walk up to you and say they love you, you won't even hear them. The same way you wouldn't have heard if they walked up to you and said they hate you. Why? You, in order to protect what is left of your person, you became numb in order to protect you. Don't mind my B at the end. I'm putting it so you can hear, you can easily differentiate what I'm saying quickly. In order to protect yourself, you've allowed yourself to be dead in a certain way. That's why some of you listening to me right now cannot fall in love. You're not open to love because in order to protect yourself, maybe from a previous heartbreak, you're trying to prevent, pre preserve yourself from not getting into another heartbreak. In order for you to get into another heartbreak, you have to love and then get heartbroken. Because you don't want to go through that process again, you've numbed yourself to the opposite sex. You've numbed yourself to attraction. You've numbed yourself to people who are interested in you. You are literally blind and deaf. Your eyes are open, but you can't see. Your ears are open, but you can't hear. It's not as if you can't hear. It's not like you're not, you're not receiving information. Because every information your eyes see, your brain receives. Everything. In fact, the reason you saw it is because your brain received it and processed it and sent it back to you that this is what you're seeing. And so for many of you, you're, you have attractive friends right now, but you don't notice. Because you've desensitized yourself. You've blocked. The, I think the general word would be you blocked out. You blocked out. If you stay in an abusive environment long enough, you'll be numb. And that might be the reason why you've not even begun to heal. Because abuse is so frequent in your life. And that brings me to this question. What are you willing to do to detach? Because as long as you stay in an environment that normalizes your trauma, you don't heal. Mind you, environments can be physical. If you have someone in your house who is sexually harassing and traumatizing you, raping you, it might be important for you to leave that. It's not it might. It is important for you to leave that physical environment. If you are in friendships with people, I'm using family and friendships because family is usually the one we feel like we can never leave. Friendship is usually the one we feel like we like can always walk away from. And so I use family because if family is the one sexually traumatizing you, there is that innate desire to stay connected to family. But a point comes where you have to choose you versus them. We'll get into that in the next three episodes when we begin to look at how to heal. But what are you willing to do? What are you willing to see there in order to make sure that abuse is no longer frequent in your life? For some of you, you might have to end certain friendships. Um, funny story. Okay, not so funny. When I was in school, I was, I was actually quite small. I was very tiny. If you see my graduation picture in 2016, I still looked tiny. <laughs> but I remembered having this female friend who had, she had some other male friends and they were a clique. But she was my really good friend. Mind you, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't have an altercation with any of these people. But I realized every time I came to say hello to her, when the guys were around, they had a way of making me the joke of the thing. Because I'm not a member of their clique. So every time I came around to say hello, I became the joke of the clique. It's either they would tease me about my head or they tease me about how I'm small or something. It happened like twice. And I thought to myself, that's nonsense. I don't want to even be your friends to start with. She is my friend. 
She can be your friend on a different day. I'll be my friend on a different day. I don't have to have her 247. You don't have her 247. I don't have to have her 247. So damn it. You guys keep her whenever you keep her. Whenever I see her, she'll be my friend. Case closed. I remember working away this one time. And I knew I was never going to stand with them when they're a clique together ever. Guess what? When I talk to them individually, that disrespect doesn't happen. When we talk one-on-one, -on -one, hey, when I see this guy and I see that guy and I see the other guy, we're cool. When I see the lady, we're cool. But when they are together, the environment was toxic. So here's what I did. I separated myself from the group, but I talked to them individually. What are you willing to see there? And you might not be able to notice toxic traits until you begin to heal. So body shaming is a norm. FGM is a norm. Partner rape is a norm in some places. Child molestation and rape, however, is not an accepted norm. For example, partner rape is such a norm that people don't even talk about it. There is no law for it as of now in Nigeria, except they're just putting that law this year and I didn't know about it. Partner rape is not a norm. It's not an, accept it's not an unacceptable norm. People know it happens. People know husbands rape their wives. People know wives manipulate their husbands sexually. You have a fight with this person. Instead of you to have a conversation, you sexually stab them. That's manipulation. Because now you're trying to bend their will. That's what manipulation does. It's to bend a person's will. You're trying to bend their will by sexually stabbing them. Nobody would talk about that. People know it happens. But it's not something that happens in a way that makes people aggressive. But if a child, a three-year-old, for example, was to get raped, people will be furious. If it's in Nigeria, I promise you neighbors will beat the living daylight out of the person. That's if the person even gets to see the dusk of that day. They will beat the... Oh, goodness. There are times when Nigerians are annoying. Jungle justice in Nigeria can be quite annoying. Back in the day when I was younger, jungle justice was death, straight up. But these days, they found a way around it. People have become more intelligent and more intellectual. But child molestation in Nigeria will still be a public beating worthy situation. And I don't even think I will stop them. If I find them beat a man who molests a child, I don't think I will interfere. They should just make sure he doesn't die. Make sure he gets arrested and the real thing happens. Citizen arrest would happen. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. They won't kill the person like they would have years ago, but citizen arrest would happen. Why? It's an unacceptable norm. Does it mean children don't get raped? Children get raped, but we don't know who did it. The day we find who did it, justice will happen. Why? It's an unacceptable norm. But partner rape, people will not really react. Why? Rate of occurrence and people have become numb to it. So perhaps... Society is numb to you and I wanted to read out a few things I wrote so that I could give you better context, whether you're listening to me in Nigeria or you're listening to me abroad. Society is numb to you because one, law enforcement has seen so much of your kind of case that there's no urgency. The implication of this is nobody might be getting arrested and it's painful. Even when you can name the person, Law enforcement is burdened with a lot of those cases that they might not be responding. And if they're not responding because you are frustrated, you get numb. Law enforcement has seen so much that in order to protect their own minds as human beings, as human beings they just block out too. 
before they run crazy as a therapist there was a period where i was becoming numb i was seeing and hearing so many nasty things that i was becoming numb as a person i had to sit down for over one year watching romance movies only i just wanted soft life because i was hearing and seeing so many stupid things professionally that i started to feel like who sent me a message number two Okay, so law enforcement has seen so much that there's no urgency to helping you out. Number two, government offices and lawyers are full of files. And as a result, there's no justice. I don't know about your country, but I know in Nigeria, you go to report a case, say for example, a rape case. A rape case is even more straightforward because you, it's, okay, it's, not, it's not necessarily straightforward, but it's easier to prove. You can't prove manipulation. It's harder to prove coercion. It's easier to prove rape. Right, um, coercion and manipulation fall under rape if the penetration does happen, especially if there's spam in the vagina. Person has to go to the doctor, the doctor has to check is there another person's pubic hair inside your pubic hair. They have to check the sperm, they have to do all of that. They're tearing you open, and your body feels violated many times in a row, aside from the actual rape. But even that is easier to prove. Imagine how horrible that is, and that is the easy one to prove. So government cases, government offices and lawyers are struggling with these type of cases. People who don't want to be violated like that. People who are even willing to be violated like that. But the person who is the perpetrator is someone who has access to power. Someone who is influential. These cases keep getting blocked. You don't have like the right lawyer. You can't afford it. And the free lawyers are, they are thoroughly there's just so much responsibility coming into them from places like women affairs for example ngos that are calling them there's so many of those cases and even they are burned out and if that's the case there's no justice there's not enough justice to go around three advocates are shouting advocates are campaigning but even among advocates many advocates have become numb and you really cannot blame them be considering the rate of these statistics and so we have two kinds of advocates responding to their numbing in different ways one category besides you know what demand and supply there's money in there's there's a market here and um funders people who fund ngos are willing to fund cases like this so i'm going to go set up a non-governmental organization in this field and i'm going to make money and so we have ngos cashing out in millions all over the world making money off trauma victims and you cannot tell me you never heard that before ngos are making money off trauma victims trauma victims are money spinning machine and it's painful to watch but the reason they can make that much money is because the actual problem exists and instead of sending the money into the situation they move that money through other places and declare it the other category of people are highly burned out they are depressed because they're not able to do enough to help as many people and their personal lives are beginning to pay while they are trying to help victims and so sometimes in order to save their lives save themselves from depression they drop out of being advocates and so the real guys are not even as many as they should be as a therapist i have an age where i'm resigning i wrote it down there was a particular week where i couldn't take any case i was useless and i thought okay you know what i'm just going to take a one week break 
One week break became almost one month. And I thought, oh, I was fine. Barely six months after that, I had a, okay, no, it was more than, it was nine months after that, I had a full-on mental breakdown that took me about two months to recover from when I say I had a full-on mental breakdown. If you talk to me, I'll be looking at you. My, I could not cognitively process. My biggest fear within the first two weeks of the breakdown was that I was losing cognitive abilities. That's how much emotional stress the people who do the real work are going through. And so sometimes being numb is how they protect themselves. So is there a possibility that the people who should be helping you are also numb from the frequency of this situation? This is a reason why recovering from sex trauma can be a little tedious. Because the people who should be helping are also burned out. And I hope this has helped you and given you perspective. If you're someone who works, if you're an advocate who works with victims, learn to protect your mind. Give yourself breaks. Give yourself breaks. Allow other people to join you in the fight so that you can share the workload. You don't get overburdened. You don't want to die out while trying to protect other people. If you're a victim, now you understand why some of the people who should be helping you cannot afford to help you. They are not wicked. They are fatigued. They are really fatigued. The question now becomes, are you willing to fight for yourself? If the people who should help you are burned out, are you willing to fight for yourself? If you're willing to fight for yourself, then join me in the next episode where I begin to talk about how you heal. Three episodes that will show you how to heal going forward. Like I said, this is a 12-week series on sex drama. We've covered redefining sex drama and I just exhausted reasons why it's difficult to heal. Now we're going into how to heal. August 31st of this year, August 31st, 2023 at 7 p.m., we will have a live webinar that allows you ask direct questions that are connected to you. You can always ask your anonymous questions at www.lisaexpress.com and we would answer you on YouTube. If you follow us on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at LisaExpressW or LisaExpressWellness, we will answer your questions and post it on those platforms to let you know that, oh, we've answered your question and it's on YouTube. But during this live webinar, I'm not going to be teaching per se. I'm going to be answering each person's question at such a personal level in a way that is connected to you. All you need to do is go to our website at www.lisaexpress.com. Sign up to get access to this private webinar. Until next week, Monday, see you again. Bye.